And speaking of hymns, Once in Royal David City is one of my favorites. I'm going to share two of those verses again with you. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. With the poor, the scorned, the lowly, lived on earth our Savior holy. Jesus is our childhood's pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles like us he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he shareth in our gladness. Jesus is our childhood's pattern. Well, in the story from the Gospel of Luke that we heard today, it is uh, short of the stories that deal with Jesus' birth and then probably his time as a toddler, uh, spanning the escape from the going down into Egypt and then the uh, tr journey back up to Nazareth uh, that's recounted in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the only story that we hear about Jesus in between maybe when he's three or four years old and when he starts his public ministry, as Luke tells us, at 30. This one story. Now, uh, non-canonical gospels and uh, even in the Quran, when they talk about Jesus, they tell more stories. And they uh, lots of times have miraculous kind of stories. But the gospel writers chose to largely be silent, I suppose because so much of what Jesus did was pretty ordinary in those intervening years. At least it looked ordinary. But for this story, we get a glimpse of Jesus. And uh, it's also in this story where we hear Jesus' first recorded words. The very first words that he says in any of the Gospels, kind of chronologically, are those two questions. Two questions. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know? Didn't you know I must be, I had to be, in my father's house? Well, on one hand, uh, the story is, is charming and so easy to relate to on many levels. Uh, number one, it's uh, a very human story. Who, as a parent, hasn't had a time in which you've been frightened about temporarily losing track of a child and uh, the, the tremendous emotions that wells up in you uh, and the panic it evokes. Uh, I can also relate to the getting lost in the crowd uh, when my kids uh, would get together with our my brothers and sisters and all the cousins. Uh, there were about uh, eight boy cousins uh, within a few years of each other, and they just roamed like a pack around around uh, the the little uh, place on Lake Erie. We'd go, and um, you didn't. Half the time they were wearing shirts that matched. You just kind of thought, oh, they're all there. But so one whole day went by, and, and they didn't realize that Jesus hadn't left with the family. And uh, they were frantic. And then it's also uh, understandable, Jesus, uh, he's 12 years old. In uh, later Jewish writings, we learn that at, at 13, a young man would start assuming some of the kind of religious status obligations of a, a, an adult. 
So this was right at the cusp of his adolescence and his transition and uh, it's time then and now, I, I think, uh, kind of seeking to establish one's own sense of oneself, uh, our identity uh, in a way we might say. When we are uh, aware all of a sudden that just because uh, our parents live life a certain way and have guided us to live life a certain way, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that we have to follow in those same footsteps. We have a little bit of choice and we want to use it. We want to try some independent thinking and uh, free choices. And Jesus looks kind of like a pretty normal adolescent in some ways, asserting his independence. Probably all of us can uh, relate to some time when we've done that or another. But what I think is really interesting about this uh, beautiful little story is that it's uh, one of the narratives where I can really see both working together what the, what the church would, after a few hundred years, really work out uh, a way of saying about Jesus, who was he fully human and fully divine. I can see a fully human adolescent here, uh, bordering in some ways on responses that could be a little bit uh, rebellious, uh, but doing very natural developmental things, uh, trying to figure out some things for himself. And, uh, but I also see signs of this uh, urgency that he had of being connected to God that was an emerging part of his divinity. And also the beautiful way he handled the whole scenario with his parents. It was fascinating to me and I thought about, wow, yes, I see this Jesus who we uh, worked out over centuries of Christological debates about the nature of Jesus. Yeah, I see a, a, a guy that's pretty human, but also really amazingly aware and transparent to God and God's presence. So uh, since Jesus is our childhood pattern, I wanted to look at the story and think about what pattern we, we, we should be seeing in this that we might want to follow. And even though uh, we might think he's our childhood pattern, okay, these are lessons for us as adolescents, so teenagers pay attention. Actually, I think that there's something about our world today that makes us really need to hear this, this story too. Uh, in a strange way, I think our modern times kind of put us chronically in an identity crisis, potentially. Uh, Bear with me a minute while I, while I explain why I, why I think that. Uh, we have so uh, many images, different images of what a fulfilled, meaningful life is marketed to us all the time, very skillfully and very well. I mean, I can, I, you just sit through one uh, Super Bowl game and you watch uh, one beautiful image of another of what a, a fulfilled life uh, is like and what it, what it means to get there. Um, we are constantly exposed to 
different images of a perfected external self. And um, so it kind of keeps us stirred up all the time. Plus, we're being bombarded with all kinds of new information as if we can learn this or that to improve ourselves, to make ourselves over again. And uh, for me, it's, it's like, uh, you know, and this is, I am highly distractible, I'll admit this, but <clears throat> it's just dizzying sometimes. So that even at my 57 years, I sometimes think, what am I going to be when I grow up? And, and maybe you do too. Um, even now as we start to think, well, what will retirement look like? It could look like a bunch of different things. So who are we? And, and I like what I see Jesus modeling here as he deals with his own identity issues. Uh, first, he, he goes to the temple. Uh, now, if you uh, were one of Jesus' parents, I think that I would probably, as I'm heading back into Jerusalem to realize this child's been lost someplace, I'm thinking of all the places I'm going to send people to go look. I'm going to send them to the street corners where some vendors are doing some cool little, you know, tricks and games and stuff. I'm going to send them someplace where some, some kids have found a, a little space in a field to play a little bit. I'm going to go uh, maybe look at some food places, see if I can find him. Uh, probably the temple would not have been my first thought, but there Jesus was in the temple. And um, Jesus was in the temple, and he asserts that it was a natural place for him to be. Um, William uh, Sloan Coffin uh, did a, a wonderful sermon on uh, the contemplation being uh, going with the temple, thinking with the temple. So uh, as I was reading this scripture, I thought, wow, now Jesus had this kind of innate God consciousness and an urgency about it, and uh, still he had to put himself in spaces and places where he could think with, with the temple. He had to take himself out of the flow for all of that to happen. I find myself, uh, when I take your prayer cards and go on my own to pray in the morning, one of the things that inevitably happens to me is that the thoughts quickly become, well, don't just sit there. Get up and do something about it. I, I, in our busy life, uh, feel like, oh, well, it's not, it's not valuable to just sit and pray. It's not valuable just to try to open yourself up a space for God. And Jesus' pattern reminds me that real doing flows from being first that we have to be who we truly are meant to be, who we are and whose we are, in order to do anything authentic, powerful, and in service for God. 
So first, first thing I pull from that is uh, going to the temple. It's interesting, I had uh, the confirmation class recently do a lesson on uh, the parts of worship service and what is the heart of worship. And uh, so to get them thinking about it, I took and listed all of like 15 different parts of a worship service uh, from little things to big things and put them in groups of uh, two different groups and asked them to, I didn't give them very much time, but I asked them to think about which things they thought were the five most important parts for them and, um, and also then what things could you completely get rid of if, if you were dictating the worship service. And uh, they had some very, very thoughtful conversations. I don't want to talk about them too much because then they'll stop. But uh, they had some very thoughtful conversations. Differences of opinions arose. They were debating with each other. Uh, one thought, oh, it's not that meaningful to do the Lord's Prayer because you say the same thing every week. And somebody else was very certain that it was really important to do the Lord's Prayer. Listen to them try to figure out why and how to resolve that. So there were lots of differences and diversities between the two lists, but the one thing that jumped out at me as being in common on both lists in the top five was they liked silence and time for just prayer in the worship service. Now this is coming from seventh graders. And I've been a youth leader. I know what it's like to go on a retreat and have to snatch the phones away from kids, lock them in a box so that they'll pay attention to each other. And, but they said, no, the world is so loud. They identified that as one of the most meaningful times. So as you think about this new year, I would invite you to Try to resist the urge to be doing all the time and spend some time going to the temple. Uh, second thing, it was interesting. If we had not heard all of the, many of the New Testament stories and the New Testament language a lot, and we, we just heard Jesus, this story, uh, flowing out of the context of Jesus' Judaism in the Old Testament, Something would jump out at us more than I think it does for our hearing. Uh, Jesus is very insistent that the place of the temple be called his father's house. Um, God was sometimes referred to uh, as in an image of like a father in the Old Testament. But uh, far more often, there were other things, uh, king, uh, lord, uh, sometimes inanimate, uh, rock, fortress, shield, deliverer, son, but not that much on God as a parent. Jesus is the reason that we oftentimes have this parental image of God because Jesus talked about God as a parent, the Heavenly Father. And it really is striking, especially because Mary says to Jesus, don't you know your father and I were looking for you? Then he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And what it suggests to me is that 
Jesus really thought about the relationship with God as really a relationship, a living, dynamic, loving, guiding relationship. And I know uh, for myself, uh, lots of times when I'm really intently going to the temple to talk to God, it's because I need something, I feel guilty about something, I want help, I feel inadequate, and there's something driving me there, which is not bad. But Jesus, Jesus went because he wanted to deepen the relationship. Uh, my adult children, you know, 20s, that's adult, legally, and um, I get, lots of times now, I get phone calls when they, they, they want something, they need something. Not, not just, I mean, like a thing, but knowledge. So, in the line of the grocery store, mom, I, I want to make your tuna casserole. What do you put in it? Um, mom, how do you, how do you, what is, make sense of this insurance statement? What does that mean? Uh, mom, you know, I don't know why they think I know all this stuff, because... <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing you do. And, and at one point I said to my son, gee, do you think maybe it'd be really nice if you just call me sometime and tell me how your day's going? And it's, it's kind of nice that way. And I think Jesus did not go to the temple. He didn't feel a need to be in God's presence because he needed something because of some lack, but because... He wanted the relationship. And uh, so I think the second thing in the pattern to take out of this is, is if you're going to the temple, take some time to just fall in love with God and stay in love with God to do that. Enjoy enjoyment time, the relationship. And then uh, finally, it really struck me that although uh, one way you could look at this story is of Jesus kind of putting off his parents, a little bit of a rebelliousness um, coming out. Uh, it's very clear that this, the writer goes on to say, and Jesus went home and he was obedient to his parents. He respected them. And in fact, even the way that he answered them back, uh, he was trying to point out to them, well, why were you looking? Why were you looking? They'd already experienced some signs that his relationship with God was unique. They weren't putting it together, listening, pondering, treasuring, but not putting it all together. Jesus was not unkind to his parents, but he still made sure that his God love was the first and most important relationship and that the other human loves were ordered by that love and not the other way around. So that was again where I found myself thinking. We have all kinds of different relationships, you do too, with different family members and uh, different people who are friends and co-workers and others, and it can be so easy in those relationships to uh, 
for good intentions, to want to be loving, to, to try to meet people where they are and sometimes get pulled away from your center. So it reminded me to take a little bit of inventory of relationships. Am I just being a people pleaser? Am I really trying to bring people into a kind of space that is ordered by love of God? and let and trust that my loves for them will be more wholesome, beneficial, orderly when my love of God is rooted. So there's the pattern I see in the story. I hope you find it helpful in this year in which we, we kind of think we have a, a, a new chance to start a little bit doing something new. I hope that you'll go to the temple and fall in love with God again and order all of your other loves around that love. May it be so. Amen.